because Mel Gibson came out with, I think, I think it was, we were soldiers. Mm -hmm. That was the war movie. And that was the one thing where like, I remember watching that movie and sobbing my eyes out. And it wasn't because I was sobbing because like these poor guys were being left behind in the chopper, uh, by the chopper. It was because I saw like people that looked like me mm. being like just massacred. And I didn't yeah. have the language for that because, you know, I knew from my parents and what they told me of like, yeah, we fought, like this was, this was a war that happened, but I never really like, you know, I didn't ever see my people as, you know, um, as the victims or the, the others, I never saw them as the enemy. And to see this movie and to see like people that looked like me as the enemy, right. it just, like really messed me up. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I couldn't like, wa I couldn't watch any of these, those other war movies. Like I would have to like sit in the class, in the back of the class, like just crying. Uh, hi, hi, hello. <laughs> okay, well, weird opening, but uh, we're gonna, you know what? We're gonna roll through it. Um, welcome to La Mescla. I'm so happy to have you here. My name is Adrian Burke or Adrian Burke for my South Americans in the audience. Uh, I'm the creator and host of this show. I'm so excited to have you here. If you're a, a new listener, um, hi, please uh, listen and stay. <laughs> It is, I just want to say it's fully 4 a.m. right now, and uh, I'm a little delirious, so please excuse me sounding insane, but I'm so happy to have you listening to the show uh, for new listeners and old, uh, and please remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and all that stuff that'll uh, help the show hit more ears. And now I'm going to stop talking uh, and introduce this week's guest. Okay, I'm going to pull it together and actually be professional now because I am so excited about this week's guest. Uh, this week, we have the the wonderful, wonderful Carolina Doe. Uh, Caroline is an actor, playwright, and producer. Uh, I was really, really excited to have her on the show. You've seen her all over the place. She's been all over TV. She's been on Broadway. We're going to casually mention that she was in Tracy Letts' Linda Vista and Bess Wool's Grand Horizons. You see, even when I'm being professional, I can't speak. Uh, uh, Caroline and I had a really, really great wide-ranging conversation about being first-generation Vietnamese-American uh, and moving to New York and creating a career as an artist. It was a really, really great one. No shade to any of the other episodes, but I really think this is one of the best interviews that we've had on the show. And by we, I mean me, because I, I, I do everything on this show. It's literally just me at 4 a.m. in the dark. This got weird. Please enjoy this episode with Carolina Doe. Are you a are you a burning sage person? Um, like novice level. Like I'll I like I'm. It's it's the way I approach religion and all things um it only happens during uh like a selfish matter like when the world is falling apart is when i go like sage or when i sure or like, you're like the type that only prays when they're on an airplane yes and like <laughs> I, i'm the crystals person when i'm like things are going shit i gotta go i gotta do the crystals but uh -huh. um, i'm not that person that appreciates god or religion or spirituality sure. um, during normal times which i should but 
I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I tend not to like go all the way into God territory pretty much ever. But in times like these, I've definitely been like reading a lot more like quote unquote spiritual stuff, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, if, if this is not the time, then when is? And it's helped. It's helped like to meditate and all that stuff. Yeah. Are you a big meditator? I struggle with it. I really struggle. Um, I, my, my partner, he's doing TM and he's finding a lot of, that's um, trans transcendental meditation. Yeah. And it's kind of like the meditation without the hoo-ha spiritual, anything they give Mm -hmm. you like a mantra and then you do it by yourself and they're like really chill about it. So that's what he's into. Um, I haven't really like gotten into a meditative practice. I used to, um, I used to do kundalini yoga, and so I would meditate every day, but then mm. I stopped doing that. And ever since then, I'm kind of like struggling with even like five minutes of meditation. So I'm starting that's, at five That's a million percent me, you know, the whole, and I'm a total novice. So I'm sure like hardcore people who are listening to this will be like, you're not doing it right. But like, <laughs> I literally cannot folk, quote unquote, focus on my breath for longer than 15 seconds. I really yeah. can't do it. And the thing that he tells me about transcendental meditation is that it's not like really focus on breath or anything. It's kind of like sinking into this mantra and following that mantra down whatever pathways your mind sends you. Um, okay. And they're like really chill about it. They're not like, you know, you have to sit in lotus position, blah, blah, blah. Um, but right now it's like, you know, with tea. PM, apparently like you have to go do the three sessions and then they give you the mantra and then you're you're like trained or to do it yourself but oh. because of like the quarantine I haven't gotten started on it I'm just on my own doing my own little <laughs> little thing yeah. very cool I love this okay well we should start the show now <laughs> I I'll probably include all of that because I'm lazy when it comes to editing but hi hello thank you so much for being here I'm excited to be here uh, so let's start the, the, the way we always do. Let's just introduce yourself to my mom's friends, which is what I call my very small fan base. Uh, and just tell us who you are, what your mix is, where your parents are from, where you grew up, like your basic deal. Okay. Um, my name is Carolina Doe. Uh, I am Vietnamese American. I'm first generation Vietnamese American. Um, I know people have like different thoughts of first generation, whatever. I'm the first one in my family to be born in America. Uh, My parents are from Vietnam and uh, they're from like the Southern part of Vietnam. And I was born and raised in North Carolina, which is in the South. And so I call myself like a Southern squared Asian. That's Um, funny. Yeah. And uh, what else did you say? What else did you ask me? And where I'm from. I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's it. yeah. We're, so. we're done. Thanks for coming on the show. Very <laughs> glad. So where, how did, let's, let's start from the very beginning. How did your parents meet? Um, okay, so I guess the backstory of it is all, um, so after the war in Vietnam ended, after the fall of Saigon in 75, um, mm. my dad was a Southern Vietnamese soldier and to make the long story short, he refused to put down his weapons. And so he decided to continue fighting um, in like a little guerrilla war forest or whatever. And okay. he was captured. Um, and then 
at the same time, in parallel, my mother, who was a first-year law student in Saigon, uh, her school was shut down because of the communists, and um, she decided to start an anti-communist organization. And what she did was that she uh, she was like the number two person in the country or in that area, where they organized like pamphlets, like anti-propaganda stuff, and yeah. also at the same time tried to arm a resistance. And um, what my mom ended up doing was that she signed a death warrant to uh, to, to assassinate one of the um, communist guys in the area who was like a huge asshole. Like he killed a lot of people. Sure. I so, I think yeah. asshole is a light term for what he was. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my mom did. Um, wow. And- Yeah, so she and her brother were part of this organization, and so were a lot of people in her family. Um, And then they were betrayed. And so my mom and my brother, no, my mom and her, my mom and her brother were uh, imprisoned in a re-education camp and were like tortured for like over a year and then had to work in a labor camp for like eight years. So they were in the prison for like nine years total. And during that time, my uncle's uh cellmate or like the person across the cell like they all had their own individual cells but um my dad was like his neighbor wow that's how they kind of knew each other um and that's the way i thought my parents met but after doing interviews with them recently i learned that my mom was in love with someone else at the time okay and he got married when he was let out of the re-education camp. And so my mom like was like WTF. Um, and then my dad was trying to get my uncle to uh, flee on the boats with him, like to um, escape from Vietnam. And my uncle was like, I already have a family. I don't, I can't do this to them. I can't risk their lives again. And so instead of my uncle going on the boat with my dad, it was my mom going on the boat with my dad. Oh my God. And I guess somewhere along the way, uh, they fell in love. And uh, six years after they came to America, I was born. Wow. That is the story of their life. That's a pretty incredible story. Because listen, my my parents met because they worked at the same bar. So... (laughs) your significant other you know hey it's true it's true no judgment so the, how quickly did they move to the states uh after getting together like when did they move here i guess is what i'm asking um i guess like from so they escaped on the boats like i guess around like 86 87 mm-hmm. they were stuck in like the refugee camps in thailand and the philippines for like a good six eight months and then uh they were sponsored by a lutheran church and so uh, my mom and my cousin who, was, who went on the boats with her were brought over to uh, North Carolina. And my dad and his brother were shipped off to North Dakota. But Whoa. then somewhere along the way, my dad lost his papers. So he lost all the like identification papers. Holy shit. And the only person that he knew that could help him was my mom. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah so then i he worked his way down from like north dakota to Gr- greensboro north carolina where my mom was and i guess my mom was able to get him like papers and stuff like that how did he even find her i have no idea 
Like, That's I, wild. I'm trying to like get those little details out of them. But I guess like, I guess they kept in touch or letters or they knew a friend who knew a friend. Yeah. I definitely think my dad always like had a crush on my mom. And so mm. he was like keeping tabs on her. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's wild. That's amazing. So then, so then they have you and you, did you, you stayed in Greensboro? You grew up there? Yes. I was literally like stuck there. And after my parents were like, so they traveled a lot when they came here, but then they, uh, they bought their store and they kind of like just stayed working there like seven days mm-hmm. a week kind of thing. And so we never really, my sister and I, we never really traveled anywhere except like on field trips. And so for me, my whole life, up until I was 18, I lived in Greensboro, North Carolina. Wow. And what, what kind of store was it? Uh, it was like an Asian grocery store. And oh. uh, we started selling uh, food to people from uh, like the Ivory Coast and West Africa, because there was a huge um, African immigrant population there. And so- wow. It was really crazy because I grew up with like just surrounded by immigrants and refugees um, to the point where like that was my norm. Like I didn't know any different. Like yeah. I knew like, all these people who, you know, they would be like sit- standing at the counter talking to my dad and tell it, trading stories of like how they got to America kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I was just constantly surrounded by all these like different languages and everything that um, I totally like forget that I had as a kid yeah I mean that's as far as anybody who grows up in America that's an incredibly rare childhood I think to be actually exposed to the outside world I think a big part of the conventional quote-unquote like American upbringing is being varying degrees of sheltered from what's actually going on outside of our borders Mother's Day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Exactly. I mean, that was something like, I feel like the older I got, the more sheltered I became because, you know, Mm. I started going to a school because um, I tested into like the smart program or whatever, where Mm. really rich kids. And so I then just became like brought into this American world of like, and that was like a huge culture shock for me, even though like I was in my teens by then I was just like yeah this is your high school yeah this was like high school and middle school like seventh and eighth grade got it oh my god so this is how people live like people have pools in their backyard (laughs) (laughs) their moms like were housewives but the housewives like were not like the housewives that I saw in the store because like the housewives I saw like had like children like the moms would come in shopping with like a baby on her back holding a baby and like um and these housewives were like you know they went to the nail salon they played golf yeah wow she had all this free time but I was like I, I started being like, mom, like, what are you doing? What did you, where did you fuck up? Because <laughs> something right over there. That's so funny. So like you found your like social circle changing too. And it was kind of, it was a lot of those like more yeah. white picket fence kids. 
yeah and it totally like made me really like it really shifted the way I think I thought about myself because I think I think like as a kid you know I was always aware that you know I was Asian I was aware that I was Vietnamese I was aware that you know we didn't come from a lot of money or anything but I never really like questioned I think I never really questioned um my Americanness in terms of like the American dream white picket fence kind of thing you know yeah. until like I got to this uh like schools where these kids had like huge houses and everything and I was like because I remember like we had to do a project and they were like well uh put how much money your parents make you know? that was a real project in school yeah that was a project like and I remembered going to my parents and asking them for their tax return. Oh my God. What class was this for? Social studies or something. I don't know what it was for, but I just remembered like these kids going like throwing out like 200K. Yeah. Minimum. And I thought like, cause back then I didn't understand. I was like, oh yeah, of course my parents make 200K. Like that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you don't you don't even know that's not even a real number to you. It's not like imaginary. And so then when she, my mom t- did her tax returns, and I was just like, it was like barely fifty thousand, you know. And I was just like, how are we surviving? Like, what are you? Doing? Yeah, what's happening here? What yeah, happening? I it would it if my school had made me do a, a assignment like that, and I'm forever thankful that they didn't like I grew up with a single mom who works she's an interpreter for for the court system which is like not a high paying position whatsoever like that is a wild thing for a high school to make a student do yeah I mean that was the thing like we had to we had to write papers you know like pros and cons of dropping the atomic bomb on Japan oh we definitely did oh my god that and my my high school had a very big Asian population more Koreans than Chinese and Japanese, I'd say. But when when I remember having to write the same paper and being having my class be at least one third Asian American kids and just being like, this is so fucked up. But the, you know what the crazy thing is like, so I think for me, I had maybe two Asian kids in my class. Mm-hmm. The rest were like all white or black and all from, you know, high-income families and when we wrote that essay I had I wrote I had to write a pro like for the dropping of the atomic bomb Mm. and it was like oh they assigned you which position you had to take wow and so you know I guess like for me I was like really like you know because we had to write those essays so it's all based on facts and everything and, you know, when you look down on it, I, I wrote that essay and I was like, yeah, for, at the end of it, it was like, of course we had to do the drop the atomic bomb, duh. <laughs> and, you know, now looking back on it, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that, like, I want to see what that essay is like, because I, it, it was totally a weird, you know, experiment to do for kids and how, like, brainwashed you can become, uh, like, in the American school system, because then you're like, of course we des- we should drop bombs and be warmongers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all defa. I mean, especially I went to public school here, which like, and I went to a public high school that like specifically talks a lot of shit about like how good of a public school it is, and like, oh. 
Uh, I went to a high school called Edgemont High School. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's fine. I didn't enjoy it, <laughs> but but it, there was a lot of like shit talk about like how highly ranked it was, whatever. But like I, this is it's just it's just like going to school anywhere else in this country, which is like you're taught that the founders of this country were literal saints who like are are godlike deity forefathers and never did anything wrong and like let's not talk about slavery and all and like the vietnam war is taught in a really messed up way too which i can't even imagine what that was like for you in school oh my god i was like i just it was a weird disconnect because for us like the vietnam war was literally like a page yeah but then you know we were shown all the video all the movies and so like growing up you know, I remember my dad really liked Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, my abuela loves Mel Gibson. Loves know, him. Yeah, I don't know what it is from like immigrant fucking population. Like Mel Gibson was. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. And weirdly, my abuela also obsessed with Kevin Costner. Yes. Yes. There's something about like they're all American kind of. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Because um, Mel Gibson came out with, I think, I think it was We Were Soldiers. Mm-hmm. that was the war movie and that was the one thing where like I remember watching that movie and sobbing my eyes out and it wasn't because I was sobbing because like these poor guys were being left behind in the chopper uh, by the chopper it was because I saw like people that looked like me mm. being like just massacred and I didn't yeah. have the language for that because you know I knew from my parents and what they told me of like, yeah, we fought, like this was, this was a war that happened, but I never really like, you know, I didn't ever see my people as, you know, um, as the victims or the, the others. I never saw them as the enemy. And to see this movie and to see like people that looked like me as the enemy, right. it just, like really messed me up. Yeah. And, you know, for me I couldn't like watch I couldn't watch any of these those other war movies. Like I would have to like sit in the class in the back of the class like just crying as Oof. we went through like Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Know, like And were the were the kids in your neighborhood and like at your school were they aware that you were Vietnamese or were you just kind of like the Asian kid? They were aware. I mean, <laughs> when it suited them, I was Vietnamese. Right. You know, didn't suit them I was just the Chinese chink girl right 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 of course of course you know like it's so growing up you're like there are moments where you're like oh my god did I fit in and so it's like that really thin line of just hoping the storm never hits you and when it does you just feel like blindsided when you know a slur just comes your way and you're like oh okay they did not think I was I did not blend in you know yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah. i mean they would ask i remember they asked me they would be like so uh, like what did your parents do during the war like what did you do and i'd be like well this is what my parents did they were on the american side so that Mm. was just like the end of it because i didn't i didn't know anything about my parents back then i just knew they were like they were on the american allied side and they were not communist which was the worst thing that could be of course yeah yeah Oof. So then, so you mentioned a little earlier, um, you didn't really leave until you were 18. Where did you go when you were 18? I um, moved straight to New York City. Okay. I, uh, got, I got my BFA in acting at Brooklyn College. 
Um, oh, hell yeah. Brooklyn College is a great program. So were, I, forgot, I forgot to ask, were you already performing and stuff when you were in high school? I went to a performing arts high school. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> great. <laughs> um, and I was the only Asian in my program. And, you know, we had the whole like Stanislavski base and, you know, did Shakespeare and Chekhov and everything. And um, I think I, like, I always wanted to be in the performing arts, but my mom was always like, you should be a doctor. Don't mess up your life. Um, but she was like, I think she put like, cause you had to audition into the program. And I think she just kind of hoped that I would get over it. Like she'd be like, okay, cool. You know, this is for your high school. But when it comes to college, you're going to do pre-med and, or law or something. Yeah. And I think it was a huge shock to her that I was committing to uh, acting. Um, but yeah. Um, but she was cool enough with it for you to go. Oh yeah, I mean, we had those arguments where, you know, super dramatic mother is like, you're killing me. You've killed me. You made <laughs> die, like sobbing. Uh-huh. And me going like, it's my life. And her going like, I gave you life. You know? <laughs> Classic, classic, yeah. Or as many, I don't, I, I'm sure a lot of other people with Latin mothers could relate to this. Like, I brought you into this world and I could take you out of it. Okay. My mom was just like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know what I went through to have you? Do you know? Yeah. So that's when, like, she would bring up the war memories and be like, I went to prison. I endured this prison. C-section baby. My body has never That's, returned. <laughs> listen, I think I think my mom's guilt trips are bad, but she didn't go to prison. Like she wasn't, she didn't come from a war. Like that's wild. There's something about like immigrant moms, Latin moms, like Asian moms, where they just know how to just guilt you um, yeah. in this beautiful way. Like they are it's like, an art. It is an art form. They're beautiful con masters because con artists, because you know, you feel so guilty. Like it has been a deconstruction of like the sh stuff and the guilt trips my mom has put me on, you know, as life has continued for me. Yeah, I mean, okay, same. She was just, it wasn't as crazy as she was. Yeah, I mean, same for me. And then that, I don't know about you, but like for me, that, that like guilt complex pops up in so many random places, especially when it comes to like auditioning or like rehearsing of like, oh, I spend my days playing pretend in a room. And like my mom's life was completely different. Like I have that moment all the time. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I work, I'm writing a play about that in a way of like the complex of this is what my mom did in her 20s and I'm doing this in my 20s. Yeah. Where is that disconnect? But it's also like, you know, we're fighting our own battles and just because it doesn't feel as crazy as theirs doesn't mean that we're not fighting a battle that also matters is what I yeah. try to tell myself. Yeah. You know, my mom's still like, one thing about this quarantine that's been really great is that uh, my mom stopped texting me about auditions and, <laughs> like she used to back when you know life was back then um yes she, yes you know every also congratulations to us for being 30 minutes in and never having once mentioned coronavirus i, yes. I really <laughs> congratulate us um, yeah she would just like every time i had an audition or anything like good luck and then two hours later did you book it oh my god that's torture <laughs> oh my god oh did you get a call back 
And then if I didn't get a call back, oh, it's okay. Oh, but you chose such a hard life. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it got to the point where I had to like call her and be like, look, mom, whenever you ask me this, you make me want to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Caroline, I didn't think of that. And I was like, well, yeah, you make me want to die. And I wish you would ask me other things. Yeah, like, yeah what my favorite color is <laughs> she's like, yeah, i'll ask you but then yeah. like cycle will start over again oh my oh god my. My, my, I, I think my mom learned that lesson pretty early on i'm not sure if you can hear me can you hear me oh cool um yes. uh, i think my mom learned that lesson pretty early on to just like stop asking about it because like you know how it is you go on hundreds of auditions and you hear back from maybe 2% of them. So like to have a constant check-in is oof. I know, but it's very much like Asian mom, Vietnamese mentality that I'm just, I have to learn to, I'm learning like her love language and my love language are completely mm. different. And yes. if she's not asking me about auditions, she's asking me about like, did I eat today? Am I healthy? So, mm. It's like, for me, I'm like, you know, there are moments where I want to like explode on her. And then I have to be like, okay, she doesn't understand. Just yeah. respond in love. <laughs> or yeah, I, hey, that's, my, if my therapist listens to this, she's going to be like, that's amazing. <laughs> Claps for that. Oh yeah. Therapy helps. Therapy helps a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Shout outs to Sharon, who is, which is the name of my therapist. I mention her far too often on this show. Sharon, she sounds amazing. Mine was Debbie. I miss Debbie's Debbie. a great therapist name. That's an excellent therapist name. Yeah. She definitely like sat through me crying through like three mm -hmm. sessions before ever opening my mouth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> On the other side of it, I'm like, what is this woman thinking? <laughs> While this is <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh my god so talk to me about uh the process of moving to new york because you moved here straight when you were 18 like i'm assuming it was a little bit of a culture shock at oh, least yeah definitely i mean for me i'd only been to new york once and i was on like a high school field trip mm -hmm. and I read go did you, did you see a show i did i saw um billy elliott okay <laughs> we're high in the mezzanine and i remember i fell asleep <laughs> <laughs> Just like this is not my musical. <laughs> then uh, we saw, I think we saw Alter Boys, and I liked that. Um, or was that Avenue Q? I don't remember, but I remember mm. I saw Billy Elliot. And I was just like, this is not the musical for me. Um, yeah, so we like wait. Oh yeah, and we went to like Ellen Stardust Diner. Oh my God! Thirsty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sights and. Uh, my drama teacher tried to buy a purse for his wife uh, uh, in Chinatown, and then he got kidnapped. He like got like put into their van and driven off like like to an area. Sure. And I remember like all, the and I remember like some of the kids going like, "Carolina, do you know how to?" I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> like, guys, I've never been to Chinatown. I don't know what this is. I'm, so I'm also, I'm also not Chinese. Like, what the fuck? Not my thing. Um, but 
I think I like, I loved it from the very first moment I got there. Like I got off the bus and I remembered like one thing, you know, like when you're walking down the street and you either walk like a New Yorker, like you have a fire before you and a fire in front of you Mm -hmm. or you walk like a tourist. And I remembered like walking, like I was like, oh, I know this, I can figure this out. And, um, it's, it felt like that, like for me, I think I got here at 18. I lived with a girl that I knew from high school. She was going to the same program that I was in. And I remembered like my first exposure to like the New York City bar scene mm-hmm. with like, a fake ID and like all that stuff was like mind blowing. I think, <laughs> you know, I, I joke about it, but I think like I went through my 20s in like those two years alone, like from like 18. Oh, to- I believe it. I believe you know, it. You know, I drank everything. I spent all the money. I did all the drugs. I mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. everything got into like, you know, met some NYPD people. Met them. some NYPD people. <laughs> we'll just leave that as is. Yeah. I mean, it was something it got to, like a few years ago. I got this like scam call from, you know, when they try to scare you and they're like, yeah. you're, there's a warrant out for your arrest. And mm-hmm. it was like 30 in the morning. And I had that moment where I was like, oh, I don't question the fact that there's a warrant out for my arrest somewhere because I probably got a ticket being belligerently drunk and never paid that ticket. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> so you believed it. I believed him for like a second and then I'd be like, and then I was like, oh wait, no, this is a scam. But there was a moment there where I was going through the Rolodex of my memories. I was just like, this shit, shit, oh, oh, this could all, yep. Honestly, Carolina, the fact that you paused for that long means you have lived a life. That's all that means. No, now I'm just tired. Now I'm like, I just want to be on the couch. I don't want to do anything anymore. Those spam, I got one a really bad one of those spam calls a few years ago where the guy, and I was like, it was early in the morning and I wasn't fully awake. So I should have known it was a scam like before I actually did. But this guy claimed that he had gotten into a fender bender with my mom and that he had warrants out. So he didn't want to involve the cops so that he, so he grabbed her and took her to his apartment and like was holding her there and needed me to send him money for his car. And I, it was so early uh, and I was a little high. So I, so, I was, uh, so I was freaking out. And then I realized he was like, only had information that he could have found on Google, but it was terrifying. It was terrifying. really scary. Like the balls on those people. Cause like yeah. on the other side, you're freaking out. You yeah. know, you're like you've lost a year of your life just freaking out. But like yeah. to bring your people's faith, wow, these, they have no qualms. Yeah. I mean, I, I at least, I, whenever shit like that happens, I'm like, okay, well, unless they're a complete sociopath, that person's probably pretty like d- desperate or like in a bad position. So like, I hope they're good. Cause that's, why else would you do something like that? But it definitely feels like they're sociopaths. Cause the guy that did mine, he literally was like, okay, I'm going to put you on hold. So he put me on hold. <laughs> he put me on hold so that he could transfer me over to the police department. Oh my God. I was like on hold for a good like 10 seconds, freaking out. And then he came back and it was the same guy, but he was trying to do like a different voice. That's a, they did the same thing. They tried to do my mom's voice on the call. And I, so I was just like, the fuck? It's crazy. So them, they're like sociopaths. Yeah, scammers have no chill. 
No, not at yeah. all. Oh my God. I would never be. <laughs> I'm like, I couldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I get, but if I was desperate enough, I might. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk to me about like uh, first getting into the scene of like feeling yourself out in auditions and like kind of your first impressions of how the industry in New York was looking at you as an actor. Oh my God. I mean, oof. Yes, I can imagine. Like, you know, let's talk about like, I mean, I was in a very diverse, Brooklyn College, I will say like, has been really good about being diverse in terms of the ensemble. And so for me, I never felt like that was the thing. My thing was that, you know, the plays that were being picked I was never, I was never like the lead character or I was never able to audition for that, you know? And so, and for me growing up, like one of the things my mom told me when I decided to embark on being an actor, she was like, there are things, if you want to do this, you can never play. I will never let you play like a maid, a prostitute. Um, like these were the things she was like, don't ever yeah. do that. And so for me, that was always like in the back of my mind in terms of, you know, if I'm going to pursue this career, I'm going to do it the way my mom told me to do it. So that mm. means, so like, I remember, you know, Showcase came and went and Showcase is such a shitty experience. I don't, did you go through Showcase too? Oh, I didn't go to acting school, but I have done Showcases through like program. I know the deal basically. It's such a terrible thing to put people through because it's oh, like- Oh, it's the worst, it's the worst. If you don't get signed, if you don't get any interest from you, you're useless and not an actor kind of yeah. thing. You know, yeah. so I, that's what happened for me and I didn't get anything. And so I just felt like, oh my God, there's not a place in this industry for me. What am I doing? And I think like the, the year, the first year out of school, I was in the most terrible place of my life, you know, didn't feel like I was doing anything right, just like crying all the time. Oof, been there. You know, and and also like at the same time having to work a job so that I can even afford rent. And so then I didn't even have time to, you know, audition or anything. And then like seeing kids like my age just like take off. Yeah. So that was like such a huge mental, mental like mind fuck. Um, I don't know. Are we allowed to curse on your thing on your show? Ab yeah. Absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. Dropping so many bombs, f bombs. Oh, me, me too. Me too. Me too. Don't worry just, about it. Literally at all. So I was just like, oh my god, there's. I'm really fucked. And my mom, I called my mom, and I was like, hey, I'm gonna come home. Um, I think I really messed up somewhere in my life, like just sobbing. And mm. she did. She was like, no, you you can't come home. You're not allowed to come home. And I was like. <laughs> why <laughs> and she's like no you can't give up like I know you people I know this industry isn't built for you but you have to keep trying you have to keep fighting you have to do this and then she hung up on me oh my god I I fuck with that I love that that's the other that's the other side of the coin of the immigrant parents some you'd think they'd be like you can't be an actor it's stupid it's a dumb choice but the other side of that coin that I've also found with my mom is that in those moments where you're like fuck this sucks Think I'm gonna give up, this is stupid. That same immigrant parent who was reticent to let you do it in the first place will be like, what the fuck? You're not gonna give up. That's not how we do things. Yeah, exactly, you're not, you're not gonna do this. You're not allowed to do this. And so, you know, I rethought things and I was just like, 
okay, what do I like? Like, because I was like, what is my community? Do I even have a theater community or people that I like whose work I like or mm-hmm. anything? And um, it really helped me when I, you know, joined the flea, which, you know, people have, you know, free. Oh, were you, were, were you a bat? I was a bat. Oh, that's awesome. And I was a bat like right when Nigel's took over. And so he had just eliminated a lot of bats from the old um, pool. Mm-hmm. And so when we came in, it felt like on one end, I was like super excited to find a community. But at the same end, there were like just a lot of people who lost their friends because their friends were kicked out of the bats and mm-hmm. to make room for us. And so there was like this kind of just always a little friction. Yeah. Which just to make it clear for my mom's friend, the bats are the, the like young company of the flea yeah, theater. The young right? company at the flea. And you know, we don't get paid to do anything, but you get to really meet a lot of people your age doing stuff, making yeah. art. And, you know, if you have the chance and the privilege to do it, it, it was a really good thing for me to do. Cause I was like, oh, cool. I can do the, you know, like nighttime shows where I can get off my shift and still make it to this show and do that. And so that was a really great point in my life. Cause then I started making connections with people and building that community. And from there, you know, I just started auditioning more. And, and, you know, I still got sent out. I mean, I finally like started freelancing with some people, some agents, and I would always get sent in for like nail technician number two, mm-hmm. doing an accent. And then I'd be like really mad at myself for doing the audition in the first place, but then mad at myself that I didn't book it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. What is happening here? Um, and then, um, I think somewhere along the way, I just started finding myself and being less apologetic about who I was in the room. I think I just started getting more in touch with my Vietnamese roots and who I am. And, mm-hmm. um, cause I think I, I, and then I like had another breakdown, like I kept like having breakdowns and I read this book called, uh, man's, I'm going to, I always butcher the title, but it's, uh, man's search for being by (sighs) (laughs) if you could all see the look on carolina's face right now (laughs) search man's search for meaning meaning um victor frankel there it goes okay okay cool i'm gonna read it yeah and he was like because he was writing about you know the people during the holocaust and it's weird to make the parallel but what it was was that you know he was saying about how you know, all these people were in ter- t- dire, dire death circumstances, but what made some people able to trudge through, you know, like hundreds of kilometers of freezing snow and enduring all these terrible conditions and survive and what uh, made other people not able to survive. And it came down to his thesis was like, these people had a powerful, like beyond luck, these people had a powerful why a reason for living and it, the way I read it, I was like okay so what's my reason for living what's my reason for being an artist mm, it's a heavy and, question yeah and because I was like well if if my reason for being an artist was to like get famous and book a tv show on abc or something mm-hmm. then that's whatever but then I need to be okay with that and 
get on with that. But then I was like, you know what? That's not my goal. That's not why I started being an actor or an artist in the first place. I had this story about my parents that I wanted to tell. And I had all these stories about these people that I grew up with that Mm. I wanted to tell and realizing, you know, oh, those stories haven't been written yet. And just because they haven't been written yet doesn't mean they don't have a right to exist. Mm. And so for me, I was just like, okay, cool. So that means I just need to take a breath, wait it out, find those artists who are telling those stories or start writing those stories for myself. And that kind of helped me like go into the room for like other roles when, you know, I started like giving a shit less. I was just like, okay, I don't care if I book this or not. This isn't really like, at the end of the day, it's like, does this make me happy? Will this make me money? Will this further my mission in life? If it doesn't, then I don't care. Those, those are the exact three. And I mean, I'm not like a quote unquote successful actor by any like, like popular metric, but anytime like younger, like younger comedians or like people who are just starting auditioning, they ask me for advice or something because they listen to the show. I say those exact three things, which is like, is this project going to make you a lot of money that'll make a difference? Is it something uh, that'll like further your connections or career or whatever? Or is it something you actually really give a shit about? Like those yeah. are the three things that I think that's really good advice that you just said. Because like, your life is way too short for you to do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I learned from like just being miserable, just trying to put myself anywhere, you know, just so that I can get some form of anything feedback that I was just like, oh my God, this does not, who, this is not the person that I want to be. And ever since I put myself like those three things and was like, if it doesn't do that, then I'm not going to do it. Hmm. And then I went through that whole spell of like, oh my gosh, like saying no feels so scary. Yeah. Yeah. But it also feels exhilarating. Like feels amazing. Because then you have time to do everything else that you wanted to do. And then you actually had time to cultivate. I learned, I was like, Carolina, what do you like? What do you do? Like, what are things that you could actually even talk to people about? Mm. Can you have a conversation with someone? When was the last time you listened to someone versus like being so anxious, uh, thinking about what you're going to say next? Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I've not been listening. I've not been uh, uh, trying to be able to have a conversation with people. Yeah. And that was a big deal. You know, I wonder this this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I I wonder if that isn't exacerbated a little bit more for first generation kids where there's your, it feels at least for me, like you're constantly coming from a place of, I need to prove something. I need to prove something. I need to prove myself. And it makes it, your ears drop out and it makes it hard to actually listen to people. Yeah. I feel like I'm, 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 I feel like I'm constantly running against the clock. Like first, it feels like if I don't do make something out of myself by 30, 35, I've failed. I've literally, and you know, and I'm like, if things go the way they are, I'll probably live till like 75 mm-hmm. or crazy amount of time. I have that time. But then at the same time, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the industry that we're in, youth seems to be the most like, I don't know, like the best trading card to have. Yeah. And haven't like 
made that if you don't have like those hundred thousands of followers if you don't have that thing then you haven't done anything right you know it's i mean for me it's just like taking a step back and realizing you know the machines that work the way they are and just because something has a lot of press doesn't mean that it's the best thing that's out there and it doesn't mean it's the best thing for you and me realizing that like just because something has a lot of press and accolades against on it doesn't mean that anything that doesn't isn't as amazing as valid yeah as valid you know absolutely especially when we're talking about like people of color and stories and narratives that matter because it's always being seen through a white lens, a white audience that isn't used to us seeing our stories, that isn't Mm -hmm. seeing our stories on stage or on film. And there are compromises that you have to make along the way to get to that mass um, digesting, you know, like network TV, like Jesus, I was, no, Jesus. (laughs) The, the, you know, the, the writing that's on NCIS and, you know, all those shows and you're like, this is terrible. Yeah. That millions of people watch it. Yeah. But just because millions of people watch it doesn't mean that, you know, it's the greatest art or anything. I mean, Jesus Christ, I watch Love is Blind, but did it mean that Love is Blind was <laughs> good for me? No. Shout out to Love is Blind. I really enjoyed binging that show. I did. I really, um, that was really great. That was a really, uh, <laughs> it was a magical time. It was a magical time. Things that people put themselves through. Um, um <laughs> I can't, I think, was it Mark? Mark. Oh my God. That I'm trying to remember which one's Mark. He was the fitness guy who was in love with, uh, Jessica. Oh my God. Oh, okay. Yes. I remember. Yes. Like she was just, I'm not, I'm not into you. And then he had to make. Why do I remember this so much? Um, <laughs> I I love that this is where this conversation went. <laughs> you know, she was like, she was like, I I can't connect to you. And then so he made a dinner for her through a wall. <laughs> and then she was like, okay, I feel connected to you more than ever. And I was, I was like, if you have, if the only way that you can feel connected to someone is it, it, is if they're through a wall, I don't think this is love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so either. Also, if you have to be on like a set and, <laughs> and stuff like that, maybe you should figure your shit out. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I mean, to go back to what we were talking about before Love is Mind, uh, if we had like, if you, if like me from two or three years ago was having that conversation with you, that would have done me a huge amount of good like truly oh yeah if i had known this two or three years ago i feel like a lot of our time is like unpacking yeah all that shit you know i was talking to a friend yesterday and just unpacking like the mindset of the colonized Mm. she was telling me about you know because i'm vietnamese she's filipino and we come from like countries that have been colonized by foreign powers and now here we are in america which was like a dominant uh culture in terms of like vietnamese versus american 
And so for us, it's like constantly this fight to establish your sense of self, even though, you know, hundreds, uh, even though like hundreds of years of your bloodline has been like trying to fight against that. Right. Yeah. How to like, how, like, there's so much work that needs to be done that, you know, it was something I was like, oh, I can't compare myself to like my white counterparts because they don't have to deal with those issues, whatever that is. Yeah. I have all these other things that I need to figure out to make sure I'm even safe in a space hmm. in order to be free to create. So that, you know, so then that's two different things. We're on two different roads. We can't, I can't yeah. compare to that. And it, there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, yeah. And you know what the work that you do the work that ends up for you as an artist coming out of that is going to be all the richer for it. And it's going to, it's certainly not going to be like, you know, no shade. I would love a job on ABC, but like, but it's not going to be like an ABC, like network uh, type show. Yeah. I think like that's for me. It's like, I, did you ever, did you see uh Hentified on Netflix? I did. Yeah. I did watch that. That was something that I don't know how you felt about. That was something for me where I was like, oh, we're, we're actually in this show, they're having the conversations of like gentrification, but also what it means to be like multiple generations in America, but still being seen as other. Yeah. And, you know, also like at the same time, like the artist of, you know, you have to do, do you have to um, seek the approval of the powers that be to be like what me what it does it mean to be a successful artist right yeah I mean I think that's the question I wrestle with almost every day and it's like on my worst days it's like oh god like whose ass do I have to kiss to like get the stuff I write made mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's a unfortunately a certain amount of ass kissing that has to happen just for a project to even happen like but it's like if you if you feel strongly about that project, you'll kiss any number of asses. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel like, but I think at the same time, you know, I'm thinking about it more and more often because I'm going through the grant writing season and mm. getting down to like final finalist level. And then- Okay. Just like, people are like, congratulations, like Jesus Christ. Yeah. But at the end of the day I'm like but I didn't get it someone else got it and then going down that wormhole yeah you know on one hand it's like oh my god if I got this residency or something it would change the course of my life you know not only in terms of money but in terms of the the amount of institutional support yeah and at the same time what compromises do I need to make along the way who is the audience that I'm talking to? Who are the people that I'm talking to? And what I'm, I used to be like, oh, you know, I want to be on that broad, I want to have a play that's on that Broadway stage. But then, you know, having seen like the shows, I'm like, but the audience that I'm talking to isn't there. No. I don't want to talk to these people. I don't really care about them. If they happen to pop in, in that this theater space, maybe. But I'm more interested in like the Vietnamese people. I'm more interested in, you know, these people who have never been, um, have never seen themselves welcome in theater or in the arts, but have always had that 
feel like they've always had like an oral history of storytelling. So how do I, how do I talk to those people? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, oh, it would be great to get 10 grand. Of course. Yeah. Are we, are we allowed to know anything about the stuff you're writing? Uh, sure. Um, I'm writing, so I was saying, I'm writing a play about my parents. So it's like, uh, trying to do these two parallel worlds where on one hand, uh, um, the character of my mother is going through like post-war Vietnam and, you know, the basically going through like her life and in her twenties, you know, fighting the war and then being imprisoned. And then time in present day, her daughter is trying to pursue the life of an artist. And at the same time, like being haunted by the ghosts of, of her mother, yeah. family and, and like generational trauma and just unpacking the fact like she's in this world that traditionally has not welcomed people like her mm. so like that's a play and the other one that I'm working with that I really love is uh it's a play people are saying that I should make it into a tv show but I don't um <laughs> I want everyone to know that Carolina just sort of rolled her eyes into the back of her head when she said that <laughs> it's about uh these like this group of Asian American Asian girls who work in uh, a Vietnamese restaurant in the Lower East Side and the bullshit, crazy shit that they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of autobiographical also because it's based on this restaurant that I worked at, which um, is this wonderful restaurant in the Lower East Side where um, w crazy shit would happen and yeah it'll be like service is happening, but someone's end up getting into a fight across the bar kind of thing. But mm -hmm. at the time, um, there's like this beautiful sisterhood that um, emerged from me working there. And, you know, it was the place where I really um, got to be like a stronger person. Um, mm. so that plays about them. Oh, that's beautiful. I can't wait to see both of these plays. Oh yeah, me t me neither. I mean, I'm only like 25 pages in on this play, so. I'm sure, but listen, I loved the elevator pitches for both of them, <laughs> for for whatever that's worth. Yeah, but you have. I feel like it's like you have to take your time, in it. And yeah, realize totally. Some people have, some people have the tools set, and some of us we just have to find the tools ourselves, which, yeah. well, you know. I'm shrugging. I'm like, that's life. Yeah. So what do you, I always go back. I'm a big Sopranos obsessive. So I always go like, ah, what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, we're, I think I'm, I'm about to start rewatching the Sopranos and cause. Oh, oh, please tell me how it goes. I love that show so much. Watch the first five minutes of the pilot. Mm. And that first five minutes is amazing because I don't know if you remember, but it just starts with like, the intro of Tony driving at, at, at Dr. Melfi's office. Yes. But before that, the first five, like before those, like it's just the driving of um, him through the turnstiles. Oh, a, right. Yeah. Yeah. The pilot with just like this montage yeah. and you like shots of like, Oh, he's going to Jersey. Oh shit. Jersey. Yeah. He's bar. He's this big burly dude. What's it? Ha what like, who is this? Yeah. 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 And then he's at the office and like just the look of him like, 
I don't want to be here. And then he walks into the pool with all the uh, ducks. With the ducks. Oh, don't get me started. I could do a whole separate podcast on The Sopranos, truly. Oh, truly. Like, talk about, like, a really well-written, like, first five minutes. Yeah. That also, in its own way, has a lot to do with, not to make the whole episode about The Sopranos, but that also, in its own way, has a lot to do with, like, with ethnicity and with multi-generational families within the framework of, like, modern America. Of course. Like, like who, it's like fighting to establish yourself. Yeah. It was just so hard, and it, it, it differs with every generation. Because I feel like, you know, like, maybe your parents or your grandmother was just like survival you know keeping your head down and just making sure that the kid that you raised gets to adulthood and has their life yeah and you know when it gets to our generation it's like I think I'm in the thing where my mom was just like oh I'm so glad she's alive kind of thing but I wish she was like a doctor and then if I were to Mm -hmm. have a kid you know my fight would be to just ensure that they um know their heritage yeah i agree with that completely i'm losing my heritage i'm i'm forgetting the language i don't think in vietnamese i don't you know i'm not from vietnam so that for me is a huge like feeling of loss every single day that i'm like i'm losing it i'm losing it i'm losing it and Mm my kid to forget where they came from in terms of you know how their parents fought to be here because you know I remember like doing those like genealogy charts and all these kids knew like four generations back like they mom and dad Mayflower or whatever kind of thing and they had all the documents and I was like oh so that's the documents that you that you're American I need that too I need to prove Mm -hmm. that like years ago we fought really hard to be here so we're as american as you are so we have to have that because there's always going to be cycles of people going like oh you don't belong here you don't you have done nothing to help this country but then we have the proof of like yeah we do yeah Yeah, this yeah we have that and so i want my kid to really know that you know yeah no i'm with you a hundred percent All right. Well, we're running pretty low on time. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you would like to? I don't know. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I feel good personally. I think this is a great conversation. No, I could talk. I mean, I could go on forever. I mean, I'm always trying. I'm always like every time I talk to someone else, I realize like how narrow minded my thinking can be in terms mm, same. of you know? and yeah. so, I think that's part of why I think that's part of why I've started this show and the reason why I still do it is because like I mean you would think that interviewing people on the same topic for two years would start to get repetitive but it really doesn't and every single time I talk to somebody new it's like oh I I can be very close-minded about certain things. I mean how many have you interviewed so far you think? I think you are my 51st person I think. I'm Puerto Rico. Oh, yes, yes, you are the Puerto Rico of episodes of this show. I mean, I consider Puerto Rico a state at this point. I'm like, oh, I, I mean, it should be. It really should be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I even like talking about like my niche because I've been focusing just like on Vietnamese people 
Mm-hmm. And we just did this thing where we uh, did a storytelling circle session with 10 people in three sessions. And I just learned like so much about all everyone else's heritage and how they got here that I'm like, I'm not the only one in the way of like, oh, I'm not that special kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, helps. Yeah. And I think I'm I think I'm not that special kind of ties into something we were talking about earlier of like kind of the magic in the context of auditioning, but it applies to anything, but kind of the magic of giving slightly less of a shit. Yeah. And like like realizing like me wanting this thing isn't like you're not special. Just like chill out and figure out what you like and what you want. Like it's that thing of like I'm not special, but I am because I am the only person that can do this, but also other people can do other things too that, hey, it's not you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, okay, Carolina, thank you so much for being on the show. Of course, my pleasure. This was was amazing. I'm so happy we could make this happen. Me too. I love this. I love it. I love Zoom. I don't, but I'm glad, but I'm glad you're here. I'm like, I'm beyond, I, I, it's become a thing. I think this is my fourth quarantine episode. Uh, and I think on every single one I've bitched about Zoom for at least two minutes. I wish I, I wish I bought stocks in Zoom. Oh, I mean, for real? Well, cause I remembered like the beginning of year, the year, like walking every day through the Times Square uh station the ac station mm-hmm. seeing all these zoom ads fuck it's it all makes sense oh now. wow i don't even remember there being zoom ads all these zoom ads mm. and i was like what the fuck is zoom and then quarantine hit and everyone was like does anyone have a zoom account and now like they're stopping through the roof maybe zoom is the big why like, if we're going to go down conspiracy theories, I think Zoom's behind all this. Listen, believe me, there are many people on YouTube who have posted 45-minute videos <laughs> saying exactly that. <laughs> oh, I <love> human beings. <laughs> me too. Oh, man. All right. Thank you so much for coming. You are welcome back anytime, by the way. And what's, uh, is there anything, like, how, do, how can people keep track of your stuff? How do you like people to, like, interact with your, with your work, if at all? can send me mail (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i guess you can check me out on instagram uh at carolina like the state k-a-y-d-o um i post things about my dog and how much i annoy people beautiful beautiful and everybody look out for some really awesome awesome plays coming very soon and that is it for this week's episode of La Mescla. Thank you so much to Carolina Doe for coming in. By coming in, I mean logging into a Zoom. You know how it is. Jesus Christ, why am I even saying that? It is 4.30 a.m. <laughs> Thank you so much to Carolina for coming. Thank you to Zoom, I guess, for being the app that I do this on. I hate you so much. Uh, thank you to Carly Hogan Dyke and Authentic Talent Literary Management. Thank you, uh, thank you to you for listening. Um, please, uh, if you like the show and you listen to these uh, weird ass outros, uh, please leave a review on the iTunes page. That's like important and stuff. Uh, and please tell people about the show. And as always, if you want to pitch yourself to be on it or pitch a friend to be on it or whatever, um, you can uh, you can email uh, lamesclapod at gmail.com or you can. 
DM the Instagram account, whatever you want to do. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful week, uh, and I will see you. And by see you, I mean release another one of these next week. Um, I hope you. I'm so tired. I'm so tired, but I'm. You know, I'm gonna use this take. I'm fully gonna use this take because Lord knows, maybe three people listen to the endings of these episodes. Have a wonderful week, and I can't wait for you to hear next week's episode. Goodbye. Like this, to put your L's up.